Hello, welcome to Lancing Tabernacle and welcome to uh, the Word of God as we find it in Malachi chapter 4. My name is Reverend Richard Brunton. I'm one of the elders here at Lansing Tab and grateful to God for opportunities to minister in a number of parts of the world. But essentially this morning we're looking at Malachi chapter 4. We've been working through Malachi in recent weeks and we've seen that this prophet who comes at the end of the Old Testament has got a lot of things to say, very practical things to say, about our relationship with God and about righteousness. We know that Malachi is very troubled about the way in which people have appeared fairly oblivious to their responsibility to worship God. And uh, they've been going through the motions, but there's been no heart in it. And they've been offering uh, the, the worst, the poorest of things and uh, kind of feel God doesn't mind. They've been robbing God, uh, which is a very serious and challenging uh, subject that uh, they've not been giving him uh, the tenth. They've not been giving him the best. And so Malachi is, is really just uh, seeking to provoke and stir up repentance and a desire that uh, God's people get into a good place because the final day is coming, the day when Jesus will return and when all of the world will be judged and held accountable to God and where there will be heaven for those who believe and those who do not believe there is truly hell, utter destruction. So Malachi makes uh, no bones about this. He's quite straightforward. He's very clear in terms of uh, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, and uh, the whole way that the people of God have got to take him seriously, and the whole way in which uh, those who don't yet know God have got to take the Lord very seriously indeed. Now, in some ways you could argue that the passage jumps about a bit because the early verses are talking about the final judgment. But then, of course, later we have verses that talk about the coming of the Messiah. Now, of course, you can interpret that as the second coming of the Messiah, but there are also, I believe, references here to the first coming of Jesus, which, of course, is before the final judgment. And uh, then you've got reference to Moses going back to the law and an exhortation to keep the law of God. And then you've got the coming of John the Baptist preparing the way for the Messiah to come. So in some ways, it, it does move around a bit. You've got to keep alert when you're reading this chapter. You can't fall asleep because you won't know whether you're in the absolute final moment or whether it's some years before with John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. Uh, you really have got to keep alert, but it doesn't matter because this is all in the heart of the prophet inspired by God to really just provoke us and challenge us about our need to take God very seriously indeed. I believe uh, John Manier made that point. Uh, we know that uh, it's been uh, repeated. Julian made that point and undoubtedly Steve also have made that point that, uh, 
you know, how you live before God, how you listen to him, how you respond to him, we have great responsibility. Now, it isn't meant to be all gloom and doom, but uh, the reality is, is that when we give God the right place, we're a sight happier. You know, it's miserable being in disobedience to God. Uh, there's no joy in that at all. And therefore, it's for our good that we do repent and turn to the Lord. Well, let's just take these first verses about the day of the Lord, which is coming, that day of judgment and fire is mentioned. And of course, uh, the Bible doesn't ignore the, the terror and the horror of hell, uh, a place of fire, a place, well, yes, brimstone. But, uh, you know, let's not make light of it. it. It's a very, very serious situation to be cast adrift from a holy God for eternity. This is always the sobering thought. It's not like, you know, a, a few days of uh, real sort of torment and punishment. It, it's forever. That's why it, the coming of Jesus is so important. That's why it's so good that we've been provided a saviour. You've been saved just for this life. You've been saved for eternity and from an eternal judgment that otherwise you and I thoroughly deserve and can't argue with God about. But uh, yeah, that, that's all encompassed in these early verses. Uh, the arrogant, every evildoer will be stubble. The day that's coming will set them on fire. Malachi uses graphic language, but not to exaggerate, but uh, just to kind of give the impression. Do not think it's a light thing to be on the wrong side of God's judgment. It's a terrible thing, it's an awful thing, and you will need to be very vigilant in order to be right with God and to face that day. But then he moves on in the middle verses to talk about you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his rays. You'll go out and frolic like well-fed calves. You'll trample on the wicked, there'll be ashes, under the sole of your feet. Well, here we have, I believe, the first coming of Jesus. And of course, the second coming uh, is also going to be uh, sort of uh, resonating within these words. But the first coming of Jesus, he is the son of righteousness, the S-O-N, son of righteousness. And uh, when Jesus came, he brought healing. And uh, the Bible makes it very clear that the healing that Jesus brought is a spiritual healing and a physical healing. You remember the man who was carried by his four friends to the uh, house in Capernaum and they lay, laid him down, they set him down in front of Jesus and uh, this dear man who hadn't been able to walk and uh, was obviously in a very bad way but what does Jesus say first? Son, your sins are forgiven. And uh, the risen son, the glorious son of God who died on the cross, bore our sin, uh, rose in victory and ascended to heaven and one day is coming back. He comes with healing. Yes, he can still heal sick bodies. We can still turn to him with our illnesses, with our diseases, with coronavirus, anything. We can come to Jesus and we can seek his face for healing. 
But you know, the most important thing is to know that your soul is healed, to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that your guilt has been taken away and the son of righteousness. Well, he had to be righteous. How could he offer himself as a sacrifice for us if there was any uh, unrighteousness? The slightest touch of unrighteousness in him would have negated any ability of him to offer himself. But he offered himself in righteousness so that we who are unrighteous might be made righteous before God. Well now, of course, when Jesus comes again the second time, there will certainly be a incredible change in the world. We're going to have new heavens and a new earth. Now, Malachi doesn't specifically mention that, but uh, there's going to be new heavens and a new earth. And there's going to be uh, health and there's going to be joy. Uh, it talks about young calves skipping for joy. Well, there's joy in Christ now by discovering his forgiveness and his peace. And there is joy unspeakable, full of glory when we're in his presence. So Malachi has taken us to have a, a sight of the final judgment and the terrors and the horrors of that and the way that you just cannot play uh, fast and loose with God. You cannot be uh, frivolous or trivial in your handling of God. You've got to be serious. You've got to realise the importance of being in a right place with God. But then he takes us to the fact that uh, that day will not be terrible for you if you've received the Son of Righteousness. But now he comes to a further reference. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at uh, Horeb for all Israel. This is a very, very important part of Malachi's message. He's asking us to consider, reflect and know the laws of God. And uh, this isn't to uh, be legalistic and to crush us, uh, although the law does reveal how sinful we are. But it's just that uh, God wants us to be in no doubt regarding what he requires of us. No other gods. I'm not going to go through all the Ten Commandments, but no other gods except me. So it's obvious. You know, there's nothing sort of uh, strange about that. It's simply saying the God of the Bible, the God who created the world, the God who sent Jesus is the only God. And therefore, all other gods need to be abandoned and we need to give him allegiance. No idols. Don't try and represent him. That belittles him. He's greater than anything you could possibly make. Honour his name. Don't be disrespectful about the name of God. Keep the Sabbath which I would interpret essentially in this message today as uh, make sure that you set aside time to reflect upon your God. Uh, you're busy during the week. There's lots of things that you need to do, but make sure that you're always setting aside quality time and by the grace of God, quality time, not just with you and God, but gathering with the people of God. Now, we know there's other commandments. Respect your parents. And uh, God calls us to, to have that attitude towards our parents because it's the beginning of understanding how to submit to authority. 
You see, you're bound to be rebellious toward the government and towards uh, prime ministers and presidents, uh, kings and queens. You're bound to be resentful towards them if you haven't even learnt to respect your mum and dad. So it's absolutely vital to begin the lesson of submitting to authority, respecting those who are over us. It begins with your mum and dad and then that spills over into our attitude uh, to those in authority. Now, God's word is always clear. We're not expected uh, to be obedient to that which is downright sinful. But our overall uh, attitude towards those in authority is to respect them and recognise that God has placed them there. It's no accident. So whatever you think of anybody who's in power at the moment, you cannot say it's an accident. No, God allows. God allows. And uh, well, you know very well that sometimes he allows uh, terrible dictators, ruthless people to reign. And uh, I'm not saying I understand that, but I have to respect the fact that God is sovereign and somehow he works out his purposes. Don't commit adultery. It's not sort of, uh, it's not vague. It's not woolly. It's not sort of, oh, is it right? Isn't it right? No, sexual purity is essential and sexual relationship is confined to a man and a woman committed in covenant to one another in marriage. There's nothing ambiguous about it. It's not vague. Of course there's temptation. We all understand that. Of course there are moments of vulnerability and weakness. We, we, we understand that. But we do not fail to understand. There are clear boundaries. There are clear parameters. And as far as stealing and coveting, and as far as lying and uh, cursing, swearing, all of these things, they're, they're covered so clearly. So it, it's important life honoring life again i don't want to go on a hobby horse about this but uh, you know it's deeply disturbing the number of lives that are taken each year whether that's uh, in in writing and whether that's in in uh, some of the uh, terrible wars that we've seen uh, and uh, some of the skirmishes and uh, uh, massacres you know, God's word says, do not kill. In other words, you respect and honour life. And of course, the baby conceived in the womb also needs respect and honour to be able to grow and develop, to be uh, the person that God made them to be. And when our people get old, we don't just uh, write them off. We respect that they need to be cared for. There needs to be dignity. So, you know, uh, remember the laws of Moses. And as I've said, these are not meant to be like a straitjacket to kind of bang you over the head. These are a wonderful framework. And if you live within the framework of the Ten Commandments, your life will be better. Your life will be stronger. But if you stray outside those boundaries, you're going to find misery and pain. So Malachi says, remember the law of Moses. And then he goes on to say this. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great dreadful day of the Lord. Well, many commentators look at this and believe this is a reference to the ministry of John the Baptist. 
And I believe indeed it is, because when we carry on in our Bible, when we come to the Gospels, one of the first characters that appears on the scene is John the Baptist. Uh, therefore, you know, the, this reference to Elijah is very important. Now, what was Elijah renowned for? It was his ability to speak the word of God with authority and with power into the nation of Israel. Now, OK, he, he was vulnerable and uh, we don't ignore that. But the Bible is wonderfully faithful and good to not sort of uh, just dwell on people's weaknesses and mistakes. The, the Bible doesn't ignore them. Uh, it doesn't kind of act as if they didn't happen. But the Bible will uh, often uh, lift up people with the qualities, with the strength. Elijah, a man like us, weak and vulnerable, and yet he prayed. He knew how to, as it were, tap into the authority of God. He could say there'll be no rain and there was no rain. He could say there is going to be rain and there was rain. Uh, that's how uh, wonderfully he moved with God. And we are called upon to also move with God. We are called upon to be like Elijah's in our day. But John the Baptist came to buck the trend. John the Baptist came to upset the apple cart, if you like. John the Baptist came to uh, address complacency and apathy and carelessness. And he came with the message of uh, the repentance. And in that way, he was Elijah-like. He, he felt very alone. Now, it's not that he was entirely alone, but we know that Elijah felt an incredible loneliness even though God at one point said, look, there are, there are other prophets as well who are seeming to be faithful. But nevertheless, although they were around in Elijah's ministry, he, he felt fairly a lone voice. And uh, the stories that we uh, read about him, he does seem to be standing on his own. When he's down at the brook Cherith, he's on his own. Uh, when he uh, goes to Mount Carmel, we don't hear there's a load of other prophets standing with him. We get the impression he's on his own. And it's not easy to be a lone voice. And uh, let me just divert to say that when you're a Christian and when you're a church that's uh, seeking to uphold the word of God and to really demonstrate the Bible is how we live. It's the record that guides and it, it's our map, our road map to lead us through life, uh, you will often feel very alone. And you'll look round the room sometimes or look round your office or wherever you are and you'll feel there's not too many people that uh, share the conviction I do. John the Baptist must at times have felt terribly alone. He must have felt, you know, uh, truly he was a voice crying in the wilderness. But even though he was alone, he spoke truth and that is where he's like Elijah. He's speaking truth. He's calling people to not compromise. That's what Elijah did. What did he do? He said, look, you know, you can't serve God and Baal. Come on. Why do you halt between two opinions? It's time to get sorted. Time to come back to God. And John the Baptist is doing a very similar thing. And he's urging people, get right with God. And why should you get right with God? Because he's a holy God. 
And again, uh, he talks about Jesus who will come. And indeed that Jesus will come with fire, but he'll come with the fire of the Spirit to expose sin, but also to inspire, enable and strengthen people to be uh, the believers that God's intended them to be. Well, one of the ministries that we hear is he'll turn the heart of the parents to their children, the hearts of the children to their parents. And, uh, you know, one of the evidences of lawlessness is when authority is despised and rejected. And remember when I took you on that massively swift tour of the Ten Commandments a few minutes ago, you know, we mentioned about the uh, early lessons that we can learn through honouring our parents. Ministry will always touch the family. Ministry is not just about speaking to the out there, people here, there, it's always wanting to address the family. God wants peace, harmony in the family. God wants fathers to love and honour their children and not see them as a nuisance getting in the way and not either get so uh, surrounded with children that you forget your duty to God. However, if you do your duty to God, you will love your children. You know, we, we hear of disputes we hear of family feuds that can go on for years even right through life I, I always remember one day being asked to take a particular funeral service I don't remember who it was and perhaps that's as well but what I remember the undertaker saying to me uh, you do need to be aware there will be people in that room uh, when you come to greet them and then take them into the uh, service there will be people in the room who haven't spoken to each other for years and uh, you know that's just so terribly sad now we know that uh, there are those times when uh, you have to say I love Jesus and if that hurts my family well I'm prepared to still follow Jesus I've told you the story I'm sure about my friend Aubrey in Malawi who came home his father had already left the house his mother was bringing him up and he came home and he said mum I've become a Christian and she said if you're going to stay a Christian you're not welcome in this house anywhere anymore tragedy difficulty I was wonderfully blessed recently to hear from my friend Rashid how he was able uh, to baptize his mother who had now come to faith in Christ Keep praying for your families. Keep praying for the children who once came under the sound of the word of God, but now have rejected the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up. Well, what we're hearing in this fourth chapter of Malachi, God is a God of serious justice. God is a God who is able to bring us to heaven, but there will be hell for those who reject him. God is a God who has sent the Messiah, Jesus, to pave the way so that we can escape. Someone who will bear our sins, who will suffer for us. God is at work. Uh, and uh, the whole sense of preparing for his coming, uh, John the Baptist got the people ready, got them into the right frame of mind in terms of what God wanted. I finish with this 
uh, comment and word. John the Baptist came, he did his ministry. Today we're the church and I believe as the church of Jesus Christ we need to proclaim the judgment of God. We need to proclaim the law of God. We need to proclaim the righteousness of God. We need to proclaim Jesus, truly the son of the living God. We need people to be ready for that final day, which surely will come. May God help you and I to be ready. And may we encourage others, families, to be ready when that day comes. God bless you and uh, may he keep you. I'm just going to finish with a prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this uh, little time we spent in Malachi. We just pray now that you will bless us and help us to live according to these precious words. And we pray that you will raise us up to be like an Elijah, like a John the Baptist, warning and preparing people for that judgment that will come. Thank you, there's mercy. And we just pray, let your grace, your mercy and peace be upon us as we live for you in these last days. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Dear friends at Lansing Tab, God bless you and keep you.